I've been living life long enough that I can say with confidence that at some point in your life, your faith is going to be tested. Somewhere along the journey, your faith is going to be tested. Usually it's sickness or tragedy or suffering or death. But somewhere along that spectrum, your life and your faith is going to be tested. We've been doing this series for a specific reason. We want you to understand who Jesus is in his own words. And Jesus was famous for saying, I am, which meant he was saying that he was God. And one of the goals of this series is that your lives will be changed because of the great I am. And the great I am should change you and who you are. So here's what I want us to start off and understand this morning. And we're going to go through a couple of uh, quick overviews and then we're going to look at the scripture passage. But here's what you need to understand about what you believe. You see, what I believe about I am changes who I am. What I believe about I am changes who I am. If your life is not being changed by the I am, then something is wrong with what you're believing about the great I am. You see, if you look at the first I am, I am the bread of life. That should change where you find your satisfaction in life. Is, is Jesus satisfying you or do you have to look somewhere else other than the bread of life for your satisfaction? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It should change your perspective, where you look for truth the way you walk, the way you follow Jesus, that all should change by the basic fact that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the gate. That should change who you are. It should change the fact that you should feel secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. It should change who you're listening to. Are you listening to the shepherd's voice or are you listening to someone else's voice? Are you following Jesus Christ or you're not? You see, what you believe about what Jesus says when he says, I am who I am, it needs to be changing who I am from the inside out. So this morning, we're going to see specifically It all matters what you believe, what you believe. So what do you believe? And I'm going to be very clear this morning. I'm not talking about what do you believe about the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again and he promised us if we believe in him, we will have everlasting life. I'm not talking about what do you believe about the gospel this morning. I'm talking hopefully to us who are believers and asking us, what do you believe about God the Father, about God the Son, and about God the Holy Spirit? 
Specifically, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is on your side, for example? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? Do you, do you believe that if you follow Jesus, you will be better at life and your life will be better? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is good and he wants to bless you and he wants to encourage you? What do you believe specifically about Jesus Christ? We're going to see in just a little bit in John chapter 11 that Jesus wanted to make sure not only that the disciples believed something about him, but he wanted to make sure that the Jews believed something about him. He wanted to make sure that Mary and Martha believed something about him. He wanted to make sure that we as believers believe something about him. So what do you believe about Jesus Christ? There's three specific truths that I think we all need to explore in our own faith journey. And here's the first one. Do you believe that I am loves you? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Oh, you're like, hey, Mark, I learned that in Sunday school. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, I believe Jesus loves me. But again, is that changing the way that you live? Are you living your life as though you are loved unconditionally by Jesus Christ? Each week, usually when we do our staff meeting, I bring the passage that we're going to be studying to the staff. And we usually read a few verses. And, and I made a comment about death, as we're going to look at the, the death of Lazarus and how that impacted. And we were talking about love because, as you will see, it clearly says that Jesus loved Lazarus and that he loved Mary and Martha. But yet he delayed in coming to them. And just like I was saying that sooner or later life is going to bring a test to you whether you actually love God or trust God. That, that's going to happen in your faith journey. I made mention that a lot of times when death occurs, we have our doubts whether God loves us. And I always love our, our staff, Keith. And again, Keith works with Grief Share. And Keith has done tons of funerals. And Keith said, is that true? He asked me, is, are you just speaking from your own experience, knowing that I've lost a couple of kids and I've lost, dealt with a lot of loss in my life? He's like, is that true that when death occurs, people start to doubt God loves them or Jesus loves them? Because he said his experience hasn't been so much that when death has occurred that he had doubts about God's love. And I thought about it for a second, and I said, well, my experience has been, not only in my life, but as I've ministered to people, the majority of people I come across who are believers, they struggle in their life, regardless of death, whether Jesus loves them or not. Whether Jesus really loves them and wants to have a relationship with them, or is that love sort of conditional? Yeah, I know God loves me, and I know Jesus loves me, but it's only if 
X, Y, or Z is happening. You see, as we journey through life, when, when tragedy comes, and it doesn't have to be death, it just is anything emotionally and spiritually that sort of sucks the life out of us, when that occurs, I believe a lot of us as believers, we do struggle to know that Jesus loves us. We, we have our doubts because our reasoning goes like this, and, and I've been there. Well, if Jesus really loved me, then he wouldn't allow this to happen. But because this is happening, there has to be some confusion on, on what exactly is occurring in my relationship with Jesus. Jesus must maybe be mad at me or disappointed at me, or Jesus maybe has forgotten about me, or Jesus isn't listening to me, Jesus doesn't care about me, and on and on it goes. But I'm here to tell us this morning that the number one truth that we all need to realize is that Jesus loves us, and we need to believe that. And we're going to dig deeper into that this morning. Here's the second question we need to ask ourselves is, do you believe that I am gives life? Do you believe that Jesus Christ gives life and gives it more abundantly? Does he give a quality of life? You see, as you read through the Gospel of John, and hopefully some of you are reading through the Gospel of John and circling the word believe and circling the word eternal life, and so you can learn about Jesus Christ, that he came to give us life. But you will notice in John chapter 3, Jesus is is trying to explain to Nicodemus, he came that we could have what? Eternal life. To the the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, he was trying to explain that he is the water of life and that he is going to create a fountain of life that is going to be coming through us. In in John chapter 5, with the, the invalid at the pool, He's trying to say that he has power over life and he wants to energize and give new life, a resurrected life, so to speak, that we could walk. To the hungry, he presents himself as the bread of life. And to the sheep, which Brian talked about last week and I talked about two weeks ago, he's here to give us abundant life or life to the fullest. Do you believe that? You see, sometimes, I'm just speaking for myself, sometimes I live as though I still have my grave clothes on. I still look at life through the perspective that I'm really sort of dead to Christ in some ways, or dead to life. And, and whatever is happening that is overwhelming me at that moment, that is, that is hiding the life that needs to come forth, and that Jesus gives life. But as long as, again, speaking for myself, as long as I try to figure out life on my own or to solve my own life's problems or try to to create a life, a better life for myself, I'm saying I really don't believe that Jesus gives life. I I was taken back as I was reading um, one commentary And he said that Jesus actually enjoys it when there's absolutely nothing we can do in a given situation but trust him to give us life. 
And those words hurt me because I love to solve problems. I love to figure out life. I love, I love to make life work. But it's sometimes we need to understand that Jesus is the giver of life and we need to trust him to give us life. Do you believe that the I am loves you? And do you believe that the I am gives you life? Here's the third one, and we're going to see it then in John 11. Do you believe that the I am is Lord? What do you mean by Lord? That, that Jesus is the CEO, so to speak. That Jesus is the president. That Jesus is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Almighty God that he is sovereign, that he is in control of every aspect of your life, that nothing surprises Jesus. Jesus is not taken off guard with sickness, with divorce, with, with relationship meltdowns. He's not, he's not taken back with our, our children who wander away or the difficulties we may have in raising our children. He, he's not surprised by the difficulties of life. Why? Because he is Lord. He, he is sovereign. He is in control. And more than that, he, he operates in a fashion that his divine or sovereign will always, always, always wins out. These are three aspects of what we need to believe. We need to believe that the I am, Jesus loves us. We need to believe that the I am gives life. And we need to believe that the I am is Lord. And there was an encounter that occurred in John chapter 11. So if you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 11. And what we're going to do is we're just going to reacquaint ourselves with the story, and then we're going to just dig deeper into a couple of these truths. So John chapter 11, and uh, hopefully you can find that on your phone or on your Bible or in your Bible, John chapter 11. As I was studying this, and I think I spoke on John 11 Easter, like in 2016. I've sp spoken on John 11 multiple times. I actually think there was another time here that I spoke on John 11. And as I was studying it, I was realizing, because we're specifically doing this I Am series, and last week, Je or Jesus, Brian, I don't, I don't want to confuse those two, okay? But uh, um, we definitely don't want to confuse those two, right? And so, but Brian spoke on Jesus being the good shepherd. And I was thinking about John 11. And I was like, isn't it ironic that the death of one of Jesus' best friends occurs on Jesus teaching and communicating that he is the good shepherd? That, that he lays down his life for his sheep, that he protects his sheep, that he wants to give his sheep life. And he's there for his sheep and he's watching over and he... He's a caring shepherd, and he loves his sheep. And then John 11, we have this. It says, now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. 
whose brother Lazarus was ill. So his sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And again, as we go through this story, there are so many angles that I could take on speaking on this this morning. I could talk about prayer. I could talk about sickness or illness. I could talk about death. I could talk about hope. Um, I could talk about our faith. I'm going to be speaking a little bit on what we do believe. I could talk about God's love for us. But there's so many angles here. But it would be, it would be important for us to understand that when Mary and Martha were hurting, notice that their prayer or their request wasn't really a request. It was a report. And how many times do we in our own spiritual journey and walk when difficulty or crisis comes our way, we report to Jesus rather than give Jesus a request? Just telling him what he already knows because he's Lord. Rather than saying, since you are Lord and you have authority and power, this is what I request. Now I have to admit that's a dangerous prayer because we may be saying he may not answer that prayer. But praying a dangerous prayer is much better than just praying a report that God already knows. And then he says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness will not end or lead to death. It is for the glory of God. And again, I could speak on the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now notice verse 5. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This is a lesson I still haven't learned in my own life, that sometimes Jesus, even though he loves me, he waits. Or he, he for some reason, he, he doesn't come to my rescue immediately. And this is the case with Lazarus. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, this is scary because In John chapter 10, you can go back and read it. Jesus knows that if he goes back into that area, he's going to be stoned to death. They're trying to kill him because he's saying, he's basically saying, I'm God. Wide out or in the wide open, he's saying, I am the Lord. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the King. I am the one that you have been waiting for. I am the Christ. And they want to kill him. And Jesus is saying, nope, we're going to go to Judea. Now let your eyes jump down to verse 11. It says, after these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him, literally resurrect him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking a rest in his sleep. Now, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad or I'm joyful that I was not there so that you may believe. Now, as you're going through the Gospel of John, if you're circling the word believe, you need to ask yourself, I already thought they were believers. 
It didn't say in John chapter 2 when he turned the water into the wine, the disciples first believed in him there. Well, maybe there is something that he wants them to believe that they already don't believe in believing that he is the Son of God. And then notice what he says, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. In your next steps, you will notice that one of the things that I want to do with this story that I'm not going to spend time in the message is their perception of what was happening really wasn't reality. They perceived that Lazarus was asleep and he really was dead. They perceived that if they went to Jerusalem, Jesus was going to die and he was going to be stoned to death and that they were going to die with him. But the reality is he was going to teach them a lesson on life. And so there's a bunch of perception versus reality and that's where we get in trouble when crisis has come our way. And that's why we need to believe that Jesus knows what he's doing. Now, verse 17 says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Why four days? John wants to make sure that we know that he is dead, that he is really dead, that he's been dead. And, and the mourners, they had professional mourners. They had been called, and they were grieving. They had started the grief process. It says that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. So the Jews are going to come, and they're, they're going to find Jesus, and they're going to kill him. That's, that's what the story is sort of trying to tell us. Verse 20 says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained silent or seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here. Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Lord, if you just would have answered my prayer the way I wanted you to answer my prayer, it wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you were, maybe if I really believed you were Lord, Maybe I wouldn't be saying, Lord, if you were here. But notice what the story goes on and folds. It says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Again, her perception was that Jesus was talking about the final resurrection. In reality, Jesus is talking about a resurrection here and now in our present life. Now watch this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying, you know, I've been teaching you I am the gate. I've been teaching you that I am the good shepherd. I want you to know something. Now, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus moves away from an event or an experience and points the arrow back at himself, at a person. This is why it's so important what you believe about Jesus Christ and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Most of us are looking for an experience or an event in our life to confirm that God loves us. Jesus is trying to point us to himself and to say 
it is me. I am the resurrection and life. And then notice what he says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall, yet, he, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, I can imagine Martha here. She rolls her eyes. <laughs> She's in disgust. She's like, Jesus, not that I learned this in Sunday school, but Jesus, I learned this when you were in our home. When we had you over for many meals and you were teaching us and you, you taught us that you are the resurrection and the life and that, the, that we're supposed to put our hope in you, that you're the Messiah, that you're going to make all things right. Once again, I think he is digging deeper than the gospel here. He's digging deeper than, do you believe the fundamental truths of heaven and hell and sin and forgiveness? He's asking, do you believe in me as the resurrection and the life? The one who gives you hope, not just for the future, but hope for today. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She affirms the fundamental truth that she believes that God had sent, God the Father had sent Jesus Christ, and that he was the Messiah, that he was the one that the Old Testament scriptures pointed to. He was the hope of the Jews. He is the hope of the world. She affirms that. And I've shared this before, the great tragedy that I see today is many pastors, and many church leaders, many, many people, they'll say to somebody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they'll say, well, you're going to have to wait and make sure you really believed. You're, you're going to have to make sure your life turns out well, that you never have your doubts, that, that you never go off to college and turn away, that you never go through a divorce or something and have your doubts about God, you, you're going to have to make sure that you stay the course. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus affirms her and loves her and takes her at her word. You see, too many of us as Christians, we have our doubts. And it all starts when we start taking our eyes off Jesus and the promise and what he's trying to teach us, that he is the resurrection and the life, and we need to believe in him, not just for a ticket to go to heaven, but we need to believe in him to get through life. So how do we apply this? Here's what I want us to see this morning, and I jumped ahead, but uh, the next step for us is to is to understand we're loved by God, to believe him, and then to experience life. And it starts with this concept of being loved by God versus our love for God. You see, I think many of us, including myself, we struggle with loving God and loving others because we're not overly convinced that God loves us. The guy that mentored me, his name is Kevin Butcher, he has started a ministry called Rooted. And basically his entire ministry is trying to help Christians understand that they are loved by God. Trying to help churches understand that they are loved by God. Trying to help pastors understand that they are loved by God. 
When Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another, he says, just as I have loved you. You will never be able to get off the mark in your love for God, in your love for others, until you are radically and totally convinced that Jesus Christ loves you just as you are. And that is a truth I need to embrace. The leaders here at this church need to embrace it. You need to embrace it. The people in our community who yet don't know Jesus, they need to know that Jesus loves them radically. That's why John, the one that wrote this, he tried to point out that even though illness and death was occurring, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. One, one movie I saw a long time ago, I really love it, it's called Shenandoah. Anybody ever seen the movie Shenandoah? I'm dating myself. J Jimmy Stewart, and I would encourage you, go back and watch this movie, kill a couple of hours, you, you'll enjoy this movie. It's on the Civil War, it's a great movie, and Jimmy Stewart is awesome in it. And <clears throat> there's a scene when Jimmy Stewart in the movie has a daughter, and there's a guy that wants to marry him. And they're sitting there, and, you know, he's smoking his pipe. And, and uh, the guy comes to ask Jimmy Stewart if he can marry his daughter. And Jimmy looks over at him, and after he asks, can I marry your daughter, he says, do you like her? And the guy goes, yes, sir, I love her. You know, and Jimmy Stewart, I'm not going to try to imitate Jimmy Stewart, but Jimmy Stewart says, dude, that's not what I'm asking you. He didn't say dude, but he's like, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking do you like her? He says there's a vast difference between loving someone and liking them. And you know what I thought was very interesting? And one of the reasons I, I mentioned that quote to you by Jimmy Stewart in that movie is because in John chapter 11, when it says that Lazarus was ill, the one that Jesus loved, he doesn't use the typical Greek word for unconditional love. He uses the Greek word for brotherly love, for likeness, for friendship, for relationship. You see, some of us, we may have this big concept that God loves us because we've heard John 3.16 so much. But for some of us, we need to realize that God likes us. God wants to have a relationship with us. God is passionate about knowing us. This is so important. I'm here to tell you that if your spouse is struggling, your kids are struggling, your grandchildren are struggling, it comes down to the fundamental truth. Can they grasp and understand that Jesus Christ loves them and he likes them and wants to have a relationship with them? And if you're struggling in your own walk with the Lord today, I think that there's something maybe missing with that truth that you haven't fully believed yet, that God loves you before you ever step out and want to say, I love God and I'm going to live for him. The second truth is life over death. We got to get out of our grave clothes. You know, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, he says, somebody help him, unbind him. Too many of our times with God, they're, they're just still deathly. They're still, 
depressed. They're still not right. And we need to understand that there is life over death. You see, what I've learned in my experience is that tragedy teaches us truth. John 11 is so important because it's a tragedy that teaches us truth about hope, love, and faith. What I've also learned that is death teaches us about life. One of the ways I was going to start, I was sort of going to do a timeline of all the death experiences that I've gone through and disappointments. And I just sort of jotted it down, and I just took the last 25 years. And I took what has happened in my life in the last 25 years. And there's been 21. And I'm talking immediate family. 21 death experiences or disappointments in my life. 12 of them actually have been deaths of people in my immediate family, not going beyond a grandma or grandpa, in my own immediate family. Seven of them have been sort of what I would call a death of an experience where I transitioned from a location or a church or moved away and had to say goodbye to people, which is very, very hard. Two of them were Adoptions, and some of you have been down this road. We, we had two adoptions that were, we thought they were going to work, and then after the baby was born, the birth mother changed their mind. And I'm not even including other friends or family or extended family that I've lost. And what I've learned, though, is that death, just like tragedy teaches us truth, death teaches us something about life. I was reading Katie Couric, and most of us know her on the news. She, she had lost a couple of people close to her, and Katie Couric said, I wish I had something spiritual in my life because I look at others who have faith and hope, and she said, I wish I had that. Jack Nicholson, when he did the movie The Bucket List, and maybe some of you saw the movie The Bucket List, he said, I've been living my life on my own, and when I did this movie, The Bucket List, I started to think, well, maybe there is going to be a day that I'm going to die, and what is the purpose of my life? You see, death actually gives us purpose for life. If we do not believe in Jesus being the resurrection and the life, there is no way that life is meaningless. But if we don't believe that, then there's no point to life. We were in Colorado. We had an opportunity to go to the zoo, and I love going to the zoo, but sometimes I get all confused that people can't see God in the creation of animals and all the signs and everybody doubting everything. And I'm just saying, you see God's design? Do you see how unique the giraffe is? Do you, do you see how the lions act and do you see how God has taken all these animals and have given them a unique purpose? God has given us a unique purpose and he's made us uniquely in his image. And as Christians, we are created in the image of God in such a special way that we have meaning and purpose and we need to live that life to the fullness. And so not only does being loved by God trump our love for God and others, understanding the life trumps the death that occurs in this fallen world.
And last but not least, we need to have faith. Another item I put on the next steps I want you to have fun with is sometimes scripture does what I call a chiasm. And I've talked about it, an Oreo cookie. You got the chocolate on the outside and the cream in the middle. But a chiasm basically is an A-B-B-A pattern. And John was famous for doing these patterns through the Gospel of John. In fact, the Gospel of John is 21 chapters. Chapter 11 is probably in the center, which means it's probably the main idea of what John is trying to communicate. He's trying to communicate that Jesus is life. But seven times, Jesus references the word belief. And in the middle is this question, do you believe this? I think John wanted to emphasize to every one of us, what is it you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and life? When illness, when death, when tragedy, when divorce, when discouragement, when pain, when brokenness slaps you in the face, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? We all have doubts. Obviously, one of the things we're going to look at at Easter is doubting Thomas. Everybody has doubts. The disciples had doubts. The disciples were confused. They were scared. They went back to a life of fishing. They didn't know what was going to happen. We as Christians, I have doubts. But somewhere along the line, it's not about my doubts. It's about faith and believing in who Jesus is as the great I am. And as you go back and as you study the Gospel of John, I would encourage you to go back and read John 11 and embrace the truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And you need to believe that, not for future like Martha, but you need to believe that today. Because you may not be going through physical death, but you might be facing what I would call a relational death, an emotional death, a spiritual death. And you need to trust in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ and the life he came to bring.